This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Boy, we are loaded for bear today. Greetings, welcome, happy Wednesday to all of you here on Blaze TV. I am Steve Dace, radio and podcast as well. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, they're here with me. 888-900-3393 is the number. If you would like to join us today, 888-900-3393, steve at stevedace.com. That is the email address, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, on Parlor at Steve Dace. You can also check out our new YouTube page if you want free samples of this show to view and then share with others. Uh, YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. And the last name is D-E-A-C-E. I mentioned we are loaded up today. At the bottom of the hour, the incomparable Ben Shapiro will be joining us to talk about how to destroy America in three easy steps. Done. I, 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 yeah. I mean, it feels kind of like... We're on step five. <laughs> right? I know. I mean, did I'm going to ask Ben, so did you, are you tempted to go back and start the book? What's past is prologue. Um, uh, but we will talk uh, to Ben Shapiro coming up at the bottom of the hour. Of course, Wednesday also means a couple of staples, some buy, sell, or hold coming your way next hour on the show, as well as the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation. Daniel Horowitz will be joining us to take us inside politics. But before we get to all of those festivities, we begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a blast in Beirut. An explosion leveled portions of the port area in Beirut, Lebanon yesterday, killing at least 100 and leaving at least 4,000 wounded. The blast was so large that its shockwave damaged at least half of the city. Officials are blaming an explosion of an ammonium nitrate cache in the port area for the blast. Back at home, Dr. Anthony Fauci contradicted the teachers unions and the panic porn peddlers who want to keep schools closed this fall. My approach is always, and, and, I, and I'll say it whether I'm in Connecticut or in any other place, is that the default position should be to try as best as you possibly can to open up the schools for in-person learning. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, where's your God now? President Trump also continued to beat the drums for school reopening. What is your, the, the latest on your view of how these schools should reopen? My view is the school should open. This thing's going away. It will go away like things go away. And my view is that school should be open. 
Visits to emergency departments in Florida for coronavirus-like illnesses, or CLI, are now at their lowest point since June 15th. Georgia CLI ED visits are at their lowest point since June 27th. South Carolina CLI ED visits are at their lowest point since June 19th. Tennessee CLI ED visits are at their lowest point since June 22nd. Alabama CLI ED visits are at their lowest point since June 12th. Arizona CLI ED visits have reached a new low of 3.5%, and Mississippi are continuing to trend down to 3.9%. According to info from Worldometer, compiled by the Media Research Center, the supposed hotspot of the aforementioned Florida is still well below the United States average and orders of magnitude below New York City, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts in deaths per million from the virus. Speaking of New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio says he's using his city's employees as political collateral to get a federal bailout. Look, we need help. Let's be clear. The help we need uh, is to make sure we can keep all of our public services, when you're talking about safety, health, education, they're all on the line now if we do not get federal support soon. And I'm very worried about these stimulus talks in Washington, Wolf, because they seem to be going nowhere fast. And now checking in on Joe Biden. Have you taken a cognitive No, test? I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump, who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters? Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I, I, I know you're trying to goad me, but I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president in debates. There can be plenty of time. And by the way, as I joke with him, you know, it, I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental fil- my physical as well as my mental fitness. And finally, I'm starting to think comedian Ryan Long really gets it. When people first started talking about diversity, I was a little apprehensive. But when I realized it just meant hiring a bunch of different colors of people who agree with me, I was all in. Every job should be 50% women. Well, I don't know if every job. Do you have a problem with diversity, Osama? No, I'm just saying that. Anyone else here have a problem with diversity? There's no biological difference between men and women. Very diverse guys, great work. I pledge to fill every position other than mine with the most diverse staff of people who agree with me in the history of Silicon Valley. Big tech needs to censor speech more. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage brought to you by Keeps. Yes, losing your hair. No fun. Uh, But let's talk about options. You could go to your doctor for a hair loss treatment prescription, then visit the pharmacy. Try not to go broke, though, when you are trying to avoid going bald. Or you can try Keeps from the comfort of your own home, where you're going to get the same doctor-recommended, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but Keeps offers the generic versions instead, so you're going to get them at about half the cost. And one more thing you're going to love about Keeps, it's all online, so it's very convenient. You answer a few questions, snap a few pictures of your hair, and then 
then a licensed physician will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you and it's shipped right to your door. You can do it all from home and we'll even get you started off with a special deal. Go to keeps.com slash grow. K-E-E-P-S. Keeps.com slash grow and get another 50% off your first order to get you started at keeps.com slash grow. It was one month ago, by the way, that Joe Biden said he had been taking and cognitive tests. He said this a month ago. I want to say it was around July 1st when he started, when he said that he has been, uh, he's been taking cognitive tests. Do you remember this? I hope I, so. I honestly don't. I, I looked it up. He, he said this. Yeah. My memory said, wait a minute. Didn't he say that he was taking them? So I went back and looked it up just during that clip. And yeah, it was about on July 1st that Joe Biden said he was, he had been uh, taking a cognitive test to make sure to assure everybody that he was okay and now a month later he says he hasn't been taking them but if i understand that video clip correctly a friend to segregationists and a man who once fondly eulogized the grand cyclops of the west virginia kkk and called him both a mentor and a guide and said eulogy is wondering if a black man should be given a drug test before showing up to work, right? Do I, do I have that chain of events correct? Two plus two does equal five, Steve. You yes. are correct. Yeah, I mean, I, that that chain of events is amaze balls. It must be great just being a Democrat, man. It must be. You literally just get away with everything. It must be great being one. I, I cannot. Frankly, maybe I've had it wrong all these years. Maybe I have been too hard on the Republican Party. Because when, when the rules are just be a Democrat and get away with everything, how the hell do you ever lose? How do you ever lose with those rules of engagement, right? Maybe, I, maybe I've had this backwards all this time. Maybe the GOP has not been knifing us. They're just a plucky little band of yes. freedom fighters? <laughs> yes. Just a plucky little band of colonials. They're the last ragtag ship in the armada that, the, that escaped the Cylons. They're the Battlestar Galactica. Okay. All right. And when when the rules are, I get to make the rules. I get to say whatever I want, do whatever I want, uh, support whatever I want, and there's no accountability for me. I can do a coup. I can make up climate alarmism data. I can make up virus data. I can make anything up. I can just make it all up. I can say whatever I want to whoever I want at any time, and there's no accountability. How do Democrats lose elections? You are you are correct, but you know that right around the corner there's a clip from Ditch McConnell or Lindsey Graham that will change your mind a little bit. On at that. least a little bit, yeah. But it, it, it just goes to show how bad most of their ideas are. Think about that. Think of how bad most Democratic ideas must be. That with those rules of engagement, heads I win, tails you lose, I get to do whatever I want to you, you probably can't do anything back to me, and I get to actually be a racist. Like, I get to break bread with racists. And by the way, Robert Byrd died while Barack Obama was president. This wasn't 20 years ago that he did this, guys. This was just in the last decade. As the sitting vice president of the United States with a black man in the White House, he eulogized as a friend, mentor, and guide the former Grand Cyclops of the West Virginia KKK. Stop and think about that. 
Dude, Republicans are out there apologizing. Listen, man, I once gave a one-star review to a rap album in 1999, but it was really, I didn't know how the internet worked back then, and my VCR still blinked 12 o'clock. I'm sorry. I'm ashamed. Those are the rules the Republicans play by, and the Democrats are like, dude, I'm just going to flat-out eulogize this racist right here while a black guy's president. I like them apples. I'm just dropping trow right here. I'm just going to I'm just going to say to the black guy on TV. You don't I mean, you don't think you needed to be drug tested before you showed up to work? It just it's a testament to how bad almost all their ideas are. They should never lose. They should never lose. They should never lose with these rules. And so yesterday, I'm I'm getting caught up on what's going on and 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 the panic porn man in the middle of the afternoon just got hit a crescendo and i'm like okay there has to be a reason for this right there's got to be some preemptive reasoning for this they're about to lose a new cycle so they're going to try another one and they're just getting their ducks in a row they're getting set up for the next uh for, for the next end run of panic porn and it's when I saw the ER data that you have in your montage, Aaron. Yeah. Um, visits to the emergency room, because that's all you, you could. That's really tantamount to hospitalization data, because most people that are going to be hospitalized for COVID are going to show up where first in an ER. Many in an ER, yeah. yeah. Almost all of them would. You know, I would guess. I'd guess it's a very low percentage of people who are hospitalized for COVID that have never that weren't initially in the emergency room, right? You didn't like just kind of stroll in on a Tuesday and I'm totally fine breathing here, guys. I don't need anything. I'll just wait my turn. Now, chances are, if you're going to be hospitalized for COVID, you went through the emergency room. Most hospitalizations go through emergency rooms, right? So if you're seeing, um, if you're seeing the ER visits plummet in these states that were the hot zone surge states, then that means you're going to see hospitalizations plummet. And if you're going to see hospitalizations plummet, plummet, then you're going to see what else? Deaths plummet and nothing to see here. We all move on with our lives. And I absolutely believe there's a, there's a correlation between those two events. Because we're also now into early August. Will we have football? Will the kids go back to school? This is that time period I told you about two weeks ago when, when the environment for the rest of the year is going to be determined. And watching this dichotomy of ridiculous panic porn, I even saw stuff that's been debunked for months making a comeback. Because they're, gonna, they're about to lose the data war on Texas, Florida, California. Arizona. They're about to lose it. Well, at least openly. Openly. I mean, they lost it a long yeah, time yeah. ago. Yeah, so they're about to openly lose it now because you're, you're, you're watching those trend lines decline. So they're about to openly lose it. Correct. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. And it got me to thinking about the broader picture with the virus. And so after watching, after reading through this data yesterday, the hospitalization data that Aaron showed, even though the panic porn was increasing at the same time the ER rates in all these states was dropping. It got me just to thinking, you know, I haven't done this in a while. What's like the big picture of the virus? We throw around all these big numbers and these sorts of things. And I think we forget sometimes it's a nation of 331 million people. 
So 150,000 sounds like a lot until it's up against a nation of 331 million people. Then is it a lot? I don't know. And so I want to compile for you some facts versus the media lies, the panic porn lies that you're getting fed still. And what I'm about to share with you, all of this is 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 data as of 5 p.m. Eastern time yesterday. So close of business yesterday. All of this data from close of business on Tuesday. Today's Wednesday. All right? And I want you to just sit back and watch as we put things into perspective for you. And you've been told this is the worst this has been the whole time. It's the, it's the, it's the, the it just keeps getting worse. It's worse than it was in March and April and May, right? Yep. Hmm. Let's begin. Percentage of Americans in nursing homes that were killed by coronavirus or long-term care facilities, right? So 1.986 million Americans live in long-term care facilities. They are responsible for 45% of all coronavirus deaths, which means 3.6%. Even our nursing homes, the hardest hit places in America, only 3.6% of our nursing home residents died of coronavirus. How about Americans not in nursing homes? It's 0.03% of Americans not in a nursing home have died of coronavirus as of 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, 0.03%. So the flu. Percentage, Todd said that, you can send your cards and letters to him. Percentage of Americans to test positive for coronavirus the whole time, since the whole thing began, since we started testing. 1.5% of Americans have tested positive for COVID-19. How about right now? Percentage of Americans who currently are a positive case for COVID-19. 0.7% of Americans right now. And we are testing everything that freaking moves. 0.7% of Americans right now are a positive case for coronavirus. 0.7%. 0.7%. What about if you don't live in New York and New Jersey? Percentage of Americans not living in those two states, which lead the way overall in deaths by far. Percentage of Americans not in New York or New Jersey who have died of coronavirus, nursing home or not. 0.03% of Americans who don't live in New York or New Jersey, regardless of pre-existing condition, comorbidity, age, whether you live in a long-term care facility or not. If you didn't live in New York and New Jersey, only 0.03% of Americans have died of coronavirus. Stop and think about that. Wasn't this our point yesterday? Why didn't Donald Trump say any of this in that interview? Well, that's the other reason we're doing this is because he, we're doing it. We're going to have to do it for him, guys. We're going to have to carry him across the finish line. So here we are. All right. Um, percentage or the total number of states let's look at this total number of states with fewer than 1,000 deaths in America 24 almost half of the US of the states in the United States almost half still have fewer than 1,000 deaths guys and it's 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 the first week of August 
It just goes to show when you put those two numbers together, almost half the states still have fewer than a thousand deaths. Only 0.03% of Americans not in New York and New Jersey have died of coronavirus. It just goes to show this really is a two state epidemic. It really is. In fact, let's drive that point home even further. Total coronavirus deaths in Arizona, Texas, Florida, and Georgia. All right. So these are the four red states right now that the media is losing its mind. Right. These are the these are the worst. Pla- these are this, these places are hell on earth. Right. Total deaths in those four states: twenty two thousand six hundred and sixty seven. Total coronavirus deaths just in New York which the media praises, Anthony Fauci says, is the model, 32,798. And he's currently gaslighting by setting up checkpoints at this uh, around the city. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why you'd want to go to New York City looking at these numbers, actually. I, I'd be trying to get the hell out. But just so you know, those four red states, Texas, Arizona, Florida, and Georgia, they have four times the population of New York State. Four times. The number of the 10 deadliest coronavirus states that have mask mandates. So you have to wear a mask, at least somewhere, in these states that are the 10 deadliest for coronavirus. That number is 8 of the 10. The number of the 10 least deadliest states that do not have a mask mandate, 5. Half of the least deadly places for coronavirus in America don't even have mask mandates anywhere. Anywhere. Again, man, I'm just reporting the data. You decide what you think about it. All right. Um, Where blue states, New York and New Jersey would rank in deaths per one million population in the entire world if they were their own country. Can you guess where they'd rank? First. If they were their own country, New York and New Jersey would be the deadliest places for coronavirus on earth. First. Where red states, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, and Texas, which have four times, four times the population of New York and New Jersey. But right now, it's the end of the world. It's the apocalypse in these places. They have four times the population of New York and New Jersey. If Arizona, Florida, Georgia, and Texas were their own country, the combined number of deaths by one million population there would be 13th worst in the world. Well, they probably wore their goggles there, Steve. Yeah, and their face shields, I'm sure. Um, just to show you how bad New York and New Jersey makes the rest of our numbers look, um, U.S. deaths per 1 million population, if you include New York and New Jersey, 483. If you take them out, it drops by more than 100. It drops by more than 100, guys. If you take out New York and New Jersey, it drops by more than 100. If you take... New York and New Jersey out. Here are the European countries that have worse coronavirus mortality than the United States without New York and New Jersey. Those countries are Belgium, the UK, Spain, Italy, Sweden, France, the Netherlands. At least half of Europe has worse coronavirus mentality than the US does if you take New York and New Jersey out of the equation. You know, those European countries that are kicking our ass. 
that we should be more like. Now, I want you to take a look and consider all of the coronavirus facts that I just shared with you. And I want you to ask yourself whether it was worth losing one-third of our GDP, one-third, one-third, canceling our way of life, all those memories, the graduations, the ball games, the weddings, the things that aren't coming back, the proms, leaving our loved ones to die alone in hospitals and medical facilities like savages, turning all other health issues away for months. There's a study out today. I have it on my Twitter account. Cancer screenings are down like 60% weekly. COVID didn't cure cancer, guys. So you know what that means. How many women didn't go get that lump in their breast examined and are going to find out six months or a year from now it was too late? How many men didn't go get that lump in their scrotum examined and they're going to find out six months or a year from now it was too late? Pancreatic cancer, one of the worst, most lethal forms. You have to catch it early. What happened? Those screenings are down like 25% each week. How many of those people are going to find out when it was too late? How about all the depression, the suicides, the substance abuse? Was it worth it? Was it worth all of this? Here's the bottom line. You are being scammed. Scammed. Gentlemen, your thoughts on those numbers? Yeah, it's it's helmet sticker time. Uh, Brett uh, Brett Hume today on uh, Twitter uh, was talking about Alec Berenson, who we had on the show very early on in this, and said the, the guys, if there was any justice, he's deserving a Pulitzer for what he did. I have no argument with that. He's done great work, but I'm, I, it just needs to be said again. Uh, if there was any uh, justice in this world, the same would apply to that guy right there for the work he's done on this. It's we, There's nobody. We've set the tone for this network on this. And whether people are going to admit it in conservative media, nobody's been doing this analysis longer than this show has on this. Nobody. We, we told you a long time ago, all of this. This is not a new re- reset. We, we were talking about this kind of stuff in March. So I... This, I, I've come at this from all different ways, but this time I just want to say the amount of research that went in early on on data that was much harder to get than it is now, way back in March, was being done. We could have avoided all of this uh, had more people had ears to hear and eyes to see what he's been telling you. And eventually, as, as bad as, as things are, um, the natural law has a way of working things out. You remarked, I can't remember if it was on air or off the air yesterday. I think it was off the air. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? That every single, every single, with, with the exception of one, but every single non-pharmaceutical intervention. Remember, that was the big term du jour when the Imperial College uh, model came out the first time. NPIs, non-pharmaceutical interventions. Every single one of those NPIs that we have tried has failed. Yeah. yeah. You, you, at the end of the day, as far gone are, are, as we are, as many sheeple as we have in our culture, as many wolves as we have leading us, 
eventually, one day, people have to face the fact that they woke up and their children are still there. They didn't die to the virus. They have to wake up and realize that unlike that KKST, UNC study, whatever that European study was last week, 30 million people didn't die. A lot of people did die. Tell, tell me about the coding and, and whatnot. But eventually they're going to realize, hey, one, two, three out of every 10 people I see on a day-to-day basis, they didn't die. This was not, this was not the pandemic that I was processed or promised. Yet every single NPI that we try fails. Fails just magnificently. Eventually, the natural law says, uh, you guys tried and failed. The virus ran its course. Uh, it was not nearly as deadly as you were promised. Yet, yet when you tried to stop it, you couldn't. I, I don't. Either the data, either people will wake up or the data eventually or just reality eventually will will smack them in the face i'm still clinging to that i would i would i would have preferred that to be three months ago not you know three months from now or even maybe a year from now but that's just i think that's just the way that it goes you're seeing the natural law come to the forefront in sports right now you know with when the florida marlins thing first broke with major league baseball this is it gonna cancel the season can't play any more games major league baseball had everybody else play now one of the venerable franchises in the sport in the history of major league baseball the st louis cardinals are now bogged down by coronavirus and yet somehow you're not seeing any of the hysteria over this that we had over the miami marlins a couple of weeks ago because major league baseball just pressed through and so we're just gonna we're gonna actually have the teams that can play play so that because the best antidote to all of this i've been telling you from the very beginning when, it, when I say antidote to this, I'm talking about the panic porn. Normalcy is the best antidote to it. Normalcy is the best antidote. If we're huddled in our homes and there's nothing on, nowhere to go, we're just going to create a feedback loop of consuming more of this, of this panic porn. So they just pressed on and kept playing games. And now we're on to a second team with an outbreak now that has a lot more fans and is a lot more important to Major League Baseball, frankly, than the Miami Marlins are. Not nearly the headlines, not nearly the panic, because they MLB called the bluff and said we're just we're going to keep playing. Once again, no heaping piles of ash. That's right. That's the key. the The key is can you call the bluff? Everybody who's called the bluff has won. Everybody who has. It's just it's a very limited number of people who, for whatever reasons, are willing to do so. Ben Shapiro will join us next. Stay tuned. Well, our first guest today is not going to need much of an introduction uh, to many of you. Uh, The one and only Ben Shapiro here with us from The Daily Wire to talk about his new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. And it's good to have you back with us, Ben. How are you, brother? Hey, doing okay. How are you, Steve? I'm doing well. Um, Do you feel, though, like your book right now might be a little anticlimactic, my friend, because it seems like we're on about step five right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't write it as prophecy, but it turns out that when you just realistically depict the state America is in, you're only about three months away from being completely uh, vindicated on like all of your views. I wrote this thing December, January, and it felt like the country was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And then COVID happened. And I thought, OK, maybe we can draw together around, you know, a global pandemic. And then 
within five minutes, we were watching riots in the streets and looting and people suggesting that vast protests where you're screaming about American systemic racism actually immunize you to COVID. So it seems like I was just a little bit ahead of the times. What what will have longer lasting ramifications, Ben? The the pandemic itself, and it is still a novel coronavirus. It, we do know it's not nearly as lethal as we had feared, but that doesn't mean we're not going to learn 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now that there were other long-term medical consequences for exposure to the virus that we're not aware of right now, right? So could it be that? Or will it be the emotion, the panic that, that all got stirred into the cauldron that is pouring out every day in our news media, a lot of our social media accounts, the way we interact with one another? Which one's going to be easier for us to develop a real vaccine for, do you think? Well, I mean, obviously, the soul of the country is going to be de- it's going to be very difficult to develop a vaccine uh, to insulate us from the from the hole that has emerged, this kind of gaping hole that's emerged in the soul of the country. When it comes to the covid, when it comes to coronavirus, uh, it's awful. It's terrible. Uh, it is it is dangerous. You know, we should all take the social distancing precautions, particularly if we are in contact with people who are vulnerable. But we will get over it. My guess is that is going to fade over the next year into sort of a background part of daily life. I have a little bit less faith in vaccines uh, when it comes to coronaviruses than some seem to. I don't think it's going to be a silver bullet. I think in all likelihood, it seems to me that COVID is basically running roughshod through populations until it's done. Uh, and then it seems like it's kind of done. So we're going to find out whether that is true. And we're going to get better treatments. I mean, there's already blood tra- plasma treatments that are that are fairly effective. Uh, we're finding out that a lot of people have T-cell I- immunity to this thing. Uh, we are finding out that that things like remdesivir and turning people on their stomachs are, are very effective in, in fighting this sort of stuff. So the therapeutics are going to be much, much better. You know, health issues are health issues. And, and we can you know gradually deal with them as a country. Doesn't mean it isn't tragic. Doesn't mean it isn't rough. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt a lot of people. But when it comes to the question as to whether we have a future together as a country, the bigger question is whether you think America is even worth saving. And it seems like a huge number of Americans believe that not only is America not worth saving, mm-hmm. America is fully worth tearing down. It is a it is a found it is a, a country that is rotten to the core. The foundations are termite ridden, and the only way to fix the country is just to implode it. You use a term to describe these people in your book, disintegrationists. Where's that term come from? Define that for us. So the basic idea here is that. There, there's basically two views of the country. One is a, a view of the country that says that we really ought to be a union, that there are, there are reasons why we stick together, why we got married in the first place. And, and those reasons are things like the Declaration of Independence, a presumption of natural rights that preexist government, a belief in a limited government designed to protect those rights, a belief in equal protection before the law, treatment of human beings as individuals, right? Those are the ideas of the Declaration of Independence, and they are good. And the history of the United States is an attempt to fulfill those ideals over time, falling, stumbling, failing, dramatically in many cases, but eventually reaching toward the better angels of our nature that are embodied in the Declaration. And, you know, a culture of the United States that that, that really thrives on adventure and thrives on entrepreneurship and thrives on a belief in one another's rights. That would be the stuff that unifies us. And we ought to stick together because we still believe all those things matter. And the same reason that couples stick together because the marriage matters and because the kids matter and because the future matters, we should stick together. Then there are the, the disintegrationists, people who believe that really there isn't anything that holds us together and we really should just disintegrate as a country. We, we just we, we should disintegrate. We should not be integrated anymore. We should we should go our separate ways. And the reason for that is none of this stuff really held us together in the first place. It was a marriage of convenience or a marriage of force that the groups of the United States are at each other's throats, that basically all politics is power politics. And the only question is who gets to wield the government gun? And that's what we're seeing right now in the streets. Could we see clearly this is a leftist has what you're describing has a leftist origin. But I'm, I don't know what you hear from your audience, but I will tell you, I hear more and more from my audience that, you know, we've reached irreconcilable differences here. Maybe, maybe this, maybe we're at the point of a national 
divorce. I, I don't see how I can share a country with these kinds of people when it's obvious they are not willing to share one with me. And you know, my my wife does therapy and, and she works with couples and she'll say to me, when a couple, whenever she hears a couple come into her office and say, we're staying together for the children, that, that marriage is done. It, 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 she says it really means the guy is waiting until somebody he's more attracted to shows interest in him and the woman is waiting until someone who's a better provider and more sympathetic shows interest in her and that that you can't keep a marriage together that way and it sort of seems like as a country we're staying together for the money right for the for the money that comes out of the federal treasury the state treasury but we have really nothing else in common do you think that analogy holds i mean increasingly it does feel that way but that's why you know the book was written around the idea of is that most americans really are not even familiar with these conflicts and i think that is true i think that most americans don't understand the ideological conflicts. They don't pay attention to it. For them, politics is just a is just something that's happening somewhere else that sort of affects my life tangentially. You know, you follow this stuff really closely, Steve. I do too. And because we follow it so closely, these ideological battles are sort of day in, day out. We have a thorough understanding of what's going on in the country. The vast majority of Americans don't know anything about the Declaration of Independence. They don't know what the Black Lives Matter movement really stands for. They don't understand what people mean when they say America's systemically racist. They just know that if they don't say that America's systemically racist, their boss will be angry at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the attempt to educate the American public in what's really going on is, is really key. It used to be that my faith in, in politics lay in people who are really ensconced in politics. My faith right now lies in people who have not engaged. Because I think that a huge number of Americans, if they were told that what when people say America is systemically racist, what they actually mean is that America is cruel, vicious, and designed to keep black people down, I think most Americans would be like, what now? Didn't we just have like a black president for two terms? Isn't it true that many of the richest people in America are black? Isn't it true that blacks outvote their percentage of the population in nearly every federal election? Like, th- th- isn't it true that the black middle class is extraordinarily thriving? The, uh, the, the average black income in the United States, the average black income in the United States is like $58,000. Like the the... the, the most Americans, I don't think, are, are fully up on, the, on what people mean when they throw out the slogans. What the left has been very successful in doing is throwing out slogans, then demanding fealty to the slogans, and then corporate capture, basically saying to the corporations, we are going to come after you if you don't cram down these slogans on the people who work for you. But I think most Americans are beginning to realize that this is pretty ugly. And my hope is that they will say, OK, I, I need a better definition before I go on bended knee and repent of my own white fragility or some such nonsense. Hmm. So along those lines, Ben, do you think that the insecurities around the virus brought a lot of the, the cultural trends, guys like you and I cover every day on our shows, brought them, accelerated their, their trend line, brought them to a head here? Or do you think it's the other way around, that these cultural trends were already heading here and that just fed into the psychosis surrounding this virus? So I, th- I think the latter. I, I think that the, these divisions were already pretty apparent. Uh, and again, you would think normally that the like this was eggshell in, in law. They call it the eggshell skull uh, situation, right, where, where you tap somebody on the skull and then the skull caves in because they had a, a uniquely weak skull. Um, the, the same thing is happening right here. Basically, America had a bunch of underlying problems and then COVID just exacerbated it. Like the COVID just sort of revealed that those problems exist because normally when you have a global pandemic, what you would basically say is, how do we get on top of this thing? Nobody wants anybody to die. Nobody really wants the economy to collapse. So how do we get on top of this thing? And then immediately it broke down along traditional political lines. And I just kept saying to myself, I don't understand why this is breaking down along traditional political lines. Like nobody wants anybody to die. If you can show me data that suggests that, that lockdowns are going to you know, be well calibrated toward both keeping economies alive and keeping people alive, then I'm willing to hear all of it. But 
You're not providing data. You're just shouting at me and you're shouting at me because you don't like Republicans. And, and so what the hell are you talking about right now? The, these problems preexisted COVID. COVID may have revealed the, the depth of the problems. I think it did, because, again, a global pandemic seems like it'd be a pretty good time to have a rally around the flag effect. That seems to have happened in some of these other countries, although you are seeing it exacerbating conflicts in virtually every other country, seeing protests in the streets of Germany, Mm -hmm. protests in the streets of France, protests in the streets of the UK, in Israel. So it turns out that when you lock people in their homes for months on end without any actual plan and then declare that government is the only solution to all your problems, that people may grow more frustrated. Do you think Western civilizations hanging by a thread here? It certainly feels that way. It certainly feels like Western civilization, which has been attempting to repent of its own ideals for the last hundred years, basically, <laughs> uh, that, that it seems like Western civilization, you know, yes, I, the, the, there was a, a, an attempt after 9-11, a sort of backlash to the Islamist terrorism that we saw in 9-11, where for a moment, a brief moment in time, it seems like Western civilization said, wait a second, our values are actually pretty good. And then that quickly dissipated. I mean, within 10 years, that was basically gone. It seems like with the fall of the Soviet Union, an existential threat based on an alternative worldview, uh, that Western civilization went into navel-gazing mode and decided to tear itself apart. And everything since has just been an extension of that. I was on a show with a couple of young activists yesterday that worked for the Convention of States Project. And they asked me what I thought were, were the driving forces of how this has played out with this virus for the last five months. And I told them, I think there's three three impulses at, at work here. One is legitimate concern. It's a novel coronavirus. We've not seen, we're very familiar with coronaviruses like colds, but we've not seen one mutate from animal to animal to animal to human the way this one had. And then when we were suddenly made aware of it, a lot of the data we had came from two places, China, which we obviously can't trust, and then Italy, which somehow in a nation of 60 million people had its entire medical system come to its knees because it didn't have 5,000 extra ICU beds. So without real data to go by, we're kind of making this up on the fly. That's part of it. And you provide people some grace that are making decisions in that maelstrom in that situation. But then I think there were two other impulses that I think way overshadow that one I just mentioned. One is, you know, the Rahm Emanuel, never let a good crisis go to waste. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to win an election on Orange Man Bad. We tried, a, a, you know, a $40 million Mueller probe. We tried a Ukrainian impeachment. And so we, we got to take out this guy's silver bullet, which is the best economic growth in 20 years. So we're going to do it this way. That's part of it. But then I think the third factor, and, and in my view, Ben, I think this is the, the, the most cumbersome one, the largest one. The amount of Americans who have no critical thinking skills, who in our education system had that just completely robbed of them, who won't go to the John Hopkins website on their own and just, you know, I could just divide how many cases we have by how many people to find out that only 0.7% of Americans right now are a positive coronavirus case. Stuff previous generations would just do automatically so so the government couldn't get the end run on them. We just don't even do those first basic common steps anymore. And I think that's what's created the Karen phenomenon and everything else. So my final question for you with those three impulses there, A, do you agree with them? And then B, which one do you think is the driving one right now? So I think I agree with those impulses. I would add one more impulse, which is there is an impulse in the American public and and largely for, for all human beings, which is the desperate wish that government is going to save you from death. Yeah. And so if, if you think that the government can save you from poverty, if you think the government can save you from individual racism, if you think that the government can save you from death, then you are likely to try and grant government insane power over your life. And more than that, you're likely to blame politicians. 
if God forbid bad things happen. So it's not enough to just say, listen, we don't know anything about the coronavirus. It's going to burn its way through populations and we're going to do the best we can. But that's about it. People don't want to hear that when they've been told for years and years and years the government is the answer to all of your problems. So I think that that's a pretty significant issue. The, the critical thinking skills is a big one because you, you keep hearing, listen to the experts, listen to the experts, listen to the experts. And the big question is, which experts are we talking about here? Because a lot of the information here is deeply conflicting, right? Even on things like face masks. Like, I'm a believer that if you're going to go into a public place because they're vulnerable people, you, you should wear a, a face mask. Like, that, that's fine. But it would be remiss not to mention that all of Northern Europe is not wearing face masks. And they say that the evidence for face masks is not good. And then until five minutes ago, that was the WHO's position as well. You know, the, the, the kind of willingness to say that the people, the media appoint as the experts are the experts and everybody else should shut up. The media bias here is so extraordinary. I mean, it is it may be the most extraordinary media bias, not may, is the most extraordinary media bias that I've ever seen, whether it is pretending that lockdown, that anti-lockdown protests are vectors of transmission, but George Floyd protests are not vectors of transmission, whether it is pretending that Andrew Cuomo is doing a great job and Ron DeSantis is doing a terrible job, whether it is completely ignoring good news, like the fact that hospitalization uh, hospitalization deaths are wildly down, like by 80 percent, whether it is ignoring the fact that there is brand new data coming out showing that a high percentage of Americans may, in fact, have T-cell memory that prevents against getting the worst versions of this virus or that blood plasma treatment may be 50 percent effective in lowering death rates in hospitals. Right. All of this breaking in the last 48 hours. Have you seen any of that stuff? It's because the media have decided on a narrative. The narrative is the lockdowns work. Government is the solution. And if Republicans don't do what we say and continue to lock down ad infinitum, then we are going to blame them for every subsequent death. Name of the book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Although I don't think he's going to need any of my help selling any copies. Uh, The one and only Ben Shapiro. Ben, thanks for joining us here today on Blaze TV, brother. Good to see you. Take care. Good to see you. Thoughts on that conversation? Oh, there's all kinds of uh, skepticism in this business. Why people do what they do? Are they just in it uh, for the clicks, for the money, for the fame, whatever? I thought it was really instructive how Ben said, you know, he's, he writes this book. And then afterwards with the pandemic, he he was like, you know, may, maybe not. M- maybe th- th- there's still good in this people. Because the traditional American melting pot model was we tear each yeah. other apart at the seams until we face some right. existential threat and then we kind of come yeah. together. Right. And defeat it. Right. And I yeah. think that shows really, if there's any doubt about Ben Shapiro, who he is in his guts, he fights as hard as he does with, you know, rapier like wit. And it's savage at times. But he loves this country. He believes in its people and its ideals. And it's frustrating for people like him. And, you know, it's frustrating for people of us on this show when we for a guy like Ben Shapiro, us to feel helpless, it you got to go pretty far to make us feel helpless because we always believe there's ability to fight and to not see it, to see America tear itself down with a moment like this to come together. It's deeply disheartening. Aaron, what do you think? Along the lines of the last bit of conversation there in talking about the extraordinary bias of the media, I, I would rephrase that. I mean, the, the bias of the media has been extraordinary for my entire life. It's the extraordinary power that they have wielded. At least that's the only conclusion that I have come to, or at least one of uh, many conclusions that I've come to, because I I tweeted, I looked this up again on uh, March 22nd, when coronavirus blows over, which it will, every leftist and their mother's dog will point to the suiciding of our economy as a means to slow the virus to say, look, status control over your lives works. And that's what we've seen borne out. Yeah. 
And and that's why it's so important with this and every other issue. We cannot be pragmatists. We have to win and we have to win our way with our arguments, not just silence the dissent, not that we have the power to do that, but we can't just look at these issues, especially this one, pragmatically, how do I get my life back, what way we actually have to win if there is any hope of saving what's left of America. Hmm. The the T-cell immunity thing is is something that is a key item, and I've been waiting for us to, to delve into it further because it's a little beyond my ability to translate research. But essentially what it says is that cellular memory is different from the, 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 the hemoglobin, the blood test for an antibody, for example. Most immunity, because of the way coronaviruses operate, we've all been exposed to them at some point with a cold, um, that we actually, even the, the rate of uh, immunity is higher than we think because we're doing hemoglobin, traditional antibody testing, instead of the cellular T-cell testing. And we've had several nations with studies that show that this is the case. So that's something to look at in the future. More in a moment. Let's get to it. Hour two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Totters and, and all of you at 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. That's D-E-A-C-E. Parlor at Steve Dace and then YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. That's our new YouTube page. And then if you're a podcast listener, we appreciate you. Thank you. Please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast through and then leave us a five-star review if you like the program the more of those we get it helps the show to grow or at least that's what i am told thank you to the thousands of you that have done this for us already what really we'd like to see that number in the hundreds of thousands i don't think that's too much to ask no No? not at all maybe the millions maybe the millions all right uh let's get to buy sell or hold our weekly profit of woe and lamentation daniel horowitz will be here at the bottom of the hour. But first, we play our weekly game of buy, seller hold, brought to you by Home Title Lock. Do not let what happened to Deborah happened to you. Deborah learned the hard way about home title fraud when she learned she was a victim when the eviction notice showed up in the mail. She had no idea this had gone down. Now, what is home title fraud? Well, first, you need to know it's not covered by your homeowner's insurance. And one of the only ways I know of to protect yourself from this happening to you is with home title lock, because cyber thieves have discovered that nowadays our titles are kept online. So they go in there, forge your name on your deed, stating you sold your home to them, and then refile as the new owner. And then they liquidate all of that equity, and then they stick you with the payments, or in Deborah's case, an eviction notice right home title lock though if you go to them they'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title to prevent this from happening and if they in the instant they detect any attempted tampering at all they will mobilize to shut it down but first things first go to hometitlelock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim Register your address to see if you're already a victim and may not know it at HomeTitleLock.com. And then while you're there, if you want to take advantage of this special offer, 30 free days of protection, you can do so with the promo code Steve. That's my name, the promo code Steve, with 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. 
By now, you know how Buy, Sell, or Hold works. Aaron, with help from you in the audience, is going to put in front of Todd and I a series of predictions, prophecies, uh, etc. You and I, Todd, are going to decide, do we buy that or sell that? Hopefully, you might have a legit reason. We may share it with you, if you're really lucky, why that was the choice we made. And then once per week, we are permitted to put a hold on, if we do it for any reason, though, other than, wow, that's a pathetic attempt at saying nothing, then you will be scourged, probably beaten uh, beyond recognition for punking out according to the dude code. It's tough, but I think we both agree that's fair. We do. And since we have a shortened buy, sell, or hold this week, good news. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, our overtime today is going to be bonus buy, sell, or hold. All right, blazetv.com slash dace to get the overtime today and become a Blaze TV subscriber at a discount. blazetv.com slash dace. Aaron. We'll start with Konstantinos Rodidas, who says the World Series will be the Yankees versus the Cubs and the Cubs will win. Sell, I got it. I got to take the field, but both teams are on to the right start for that to happen. Agreed. But there's so much randomness now. There's no way of knowing. It's a deeper playoff. There's more teams in it. Which which, baseball has randomness to it anyway because of the amount of games. Now we're going to have more teams in the playoffs. Now we're going to have the uncertainty of what's going on with the virus, right? So um, I'm going to sell just because the 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 odds are heavily with variants right now yes yeah latino liberty punk says the word vaccine will replace the use of the word ventilator post november election <sighs> buy yeah that's an easy buy yeah i'll yeah. buy yeah I, I'm that's terrified probably, to buy, but we elected a Democrat, and behold, our various our, our glorious vaccine appears. Yeah, and, but I think if regardless of which one of these two guys wins, okay, whether dementia wins, the dementia who is out to end you wins, or the narcissist who at least some of the time listens to you wins, <laughs> which whichever of those two maladies wins on November the third, you're going to hear uh, the V word will change considerably anyway about vaccines. I mean, the Trump administration has pumped, this is his man on the moon JFK thing. All right. I mean, he has this initiative for a vaccine here. They have pumped billions upon billions upon billions into this already. Okay. So, um, we're going to, we're going to find out next year, regardless of who wins in November, you're going to find out next year, whether it's really, achievable in our current technological environment for humans to create for the first time ever in our history a coronavirus vaccine because a lot of folks are going to spend and be given billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of dollars to try and find out so you're going to hear a lot about that yeah Todd? Well, I'm buying. Um, it's a conversation that I'm absolutely looking forward to having. Always have been, because a lot of this is in the dark and just ad hominem nonsense. But I'm terrified of of losing it at that level. It's it, it could be potentially awful. Russ Salerno says COVID ambulance chasing attorneys are going to be a problem and shouldn't be allowed to sue a single business ever because no one has ever shown where and when they've ever caught any flu ever, ever, ever. Agreed. 
I, I agree. And I think that's what that's what there's two impulses driving private industry on the masks. One is I've, I've told you guys this for years there, we have had a political realignment in America. It just wasn't a, a demographic in the general population. The, the realignment, the political realignment we've had, and we've not had a major political realignment since Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is what uh, brought uh, mobilized evangelicals, gave Republicans a chance at getting, you know, a majority of the Catholic vote for the first time ever. And and since then, a lot of people, political scientists, have said, well, we're, we're overdue. We typically have a major demographic political realignment in America every you know 30 to 40 years and and now we're going on year 47 of roe v wade and we've not had one yes we did uh we've had one in the last decade it's in the boardrooms it's in the it's in the 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 cultures of corporate america are heavily progressivized now uh activists leftist in many cases so um that's part of the of the private industry mask up initiative is a lot of private industry nowadays at the at the major mega corporate level is striving to be woke. Some of it is please don't loot us, and others is there's more of them that are true believers in this than you probably want to admit. Okay, there's a lot. A lot of this is not paying Jesse Jackson shakedown ransom money like we saw in the 80s and 90s. A lot of this they're they're true believers, Stanley. I mean they're they're here. This is a tithe. They're in on this. Okay. Um. And it's, and it's only growing in that population. The other thing that's going on in the private sector with businesses, fear of liability. And I'm telling you right now, because of that fear, if I owned a massive chain of stores or restaurants, I'd probably put all my employees in masks because the I don't want the woman who's suing me because the coffee's hot at McDonald's claiming she got COVID because she came into my store and ordered a 10 piece and one of my employees sneezed on her. Right. Um, so liability is the other driving factor in why corporate America is pushing masks nowadays. Yeah, I agree. It's a factor. What drives me nuts is can we, my body, my choice, but you're not in any way beholden to your choice uh, to come in and, eat somewhere, buy something somewhere. That's what drives me nuts about all of that. You you don't have to come there. You're a bunch of Karens and you're always looking for this fight. Why are, you, why are they not on the hook for anything? It's madness. So I, but the, the sentiment of everything Steve says, I buy. Dustin Collins is next. He says, Big Ten schedule released. Steve's team up north finishes with a better win record than 2019 campaign. Let's see. I think you were 0.692 winning percentage uh, overall last year. So we'd have to win seven out of 10 games then. Basically. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, they're going to win seven out of those 10 games. Yep. I mean, I, I think that's I think they were actually given a fairly favorable schedule. Now, it ain't the one that your team was given, bro. And then there's the then there's the schedule Ohio State was given, which almost just is like, please, Justin Fields, don't opt out and play. <laughs> All right, we're gonna make this as we're gonna make this as easy and cushy for you as we can possibly make it. I mean, you're talking about other than the SEC, clearly the next best conference in college football, and the and the SEC and the Big Ten are way ahead of I think the other two leagues in terms of depth and resources they have at their disposal. Um, and and still, somehow, Ohio State ended up with a schedule that is an absolute joke. It's an absolute joke of a schedule. And then your team, Wisconsin, man, 
not no doesn't have to play Ohio State, doesn't have to play Penn State, doesn't have to play Michigan until the very end of the year when who knows if how many of those games end up getting played. Who knows? Um, yeah, I mean, those were very favorable schedules, but I, I like our schedule a lot too. I, mean, I know we have to play Minnesota and Purdue early, but those two teams just lost the, by far the best players in their entire programs have already opted out. And keep in mind, I know this is college football and you're used to losing guys every year, but you didn't have that this year. You know, Penn State, whoever in the next four or five star guy to replace Micah Parsons they already recruited was, that guy would typically have all of spring football, right? An entire offseason working to get ready to assume that role, to be the next. If they had a few star linebackers at Penn State, they, they've had a few of those a over few. the years, right? But that replacement didn't get that the entire time. And they just found out yesterday he's not playing. Well, they've been spending their whole offseason building their entire defense around the guy that's probably going to be the number one defensive player picked in the NFL draft. That is a massive blow. That's as big a blow as a program can get without losing like a star quarterback is losing Micah Parsons at Penn State. So I'd much rather play those teams. They were already on our schedule for this fall anyway. I'd much rather play them the first couple of weeks before they figure out who those dudes are going to be. They're going to replace those guys. But I like our schedule. Um, it's just not as favorable as the one your team was given, and, and especially the one Ohio State was given. Well, this is a systemic problem, at least in the Big Ten. I don't pay as close attention. I I want, it's inexcusable that the Badgers, who are... This is going to be the most Urzen thing ever. He's going to yeah, complain. I am. About, you know about, it. About it. being given a favorable This is schedule. not new to you. I've said this to you before. <laughs> it's it's wrong. Uh, Wisconsin has established it, it's, itself. Uh, and there's no, no question, I, I was uh, right there, but still behind us, as, as the top team in the West. How are you looking at any schedule ever and not having them play the top two, two of the top three teams in the East? That's insane. And I want to play them. I want, we got Rutgers on the schedule. I don't want to watch the Badgers play Rutgers. I want to play the Badgers, watch the Badgers play Ohio State. I, I, there is no good reason for how this ends up this way. If I was a fan of any other team in the Big Ten West, I'd be losing my mind. I'd be like, we already can't beat these guys. They're the perennial favorite in this division. And you you told them they didn't have to play Ohio State and Penn State. And the other and the and the game you gave them, the extra game you gave them was was, was Rutgers, a guaranteed win. But that's why, like, how how do grownups get in the room and do? I want to know what's Let's find what the Iowa fan thinks. He's the one that's got to be the most pissy well, about this. That's if he's not going to cough up a COVID lung right that's, now. It's okay. hilarious. Right okay. when you said that, I started coughing, choking. Sir, is that a metaphor? No, do you think? Well, maybe. Okay. What, what, what were your thoughts when you woke up this morning and saw you looked up and saw the Badgers' extra game was Rutgers? Um, you know, I was fine that Iowa's extra game was Maryland, but we already had a tough schedule going into this, and so that's just it's the way it rolls. I agree with Todd overall. Like, there's nothing about this year that's particularly that's particularly irksome to me um, in, in, in more of a, a way that we get this every single year as well. And sometimes, like Iowa 2015, you went 12-0, and or we went 12-0. and One of those wins was a big win against Wisconsin, which Todd keeps making an excuse for about uh, how, you got, how we got lucky. But anyway, one of the wins was against Wisconsin. The rest of the schedule is really, really easy. Iowa caught a break, but they still went 12-0. and They took care of the business. They took care of the teams in front of them. Um, but overall, you know, even though it benefits your team sometimes, the lack of a formulaic schedule is just kind of 
it's a head scratcher. It's a real head scratcher at this point. And so I agree overall with Todd's with Todd's analysis. Uh, analysis. I, I just don't think there's anything this season that's you know particularly irksome about the scheduling more so than other years. You can look at it this way: you guys essentially traded Appalachian State, one of the best group of five teams, and then Notre Dame. And yeah, that game would have been at Lambeau. But they would have brought a crap ton of Notre Dame fans there. It would have been a Wisconsin oh, yeah. home crowd, but there would have been 20,000 oh, Notre, been Dame, awesome. 20, 30, Notre Dame fans there. So you basically traded Notre Dame and, and arguably the best group of five team, Appalachian State, for Rutgers. That's essentially what Wisconsin got out of this deal. And it's dumb. And part, again, part of the planning of this, why they didn't find a way to let certain matchups. I mean, Washington, Michigan, that's a big ask. How they couldn't have made Notre... That's a Midwest game. Why not yeah. let it on the schedule? Yeah, I, I. that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. But my, I don't think any Big Ten team should play Notre Dame, including I Michigan. I know, but you know... I, to, I'm, I'm in the Bo back. To hell with Notre Dame. You want to you play us? Why give a team not in our footprint access to our footprint? You want to play us? Join the conference. That's my opinion. I was fine with a papal dispensation this year for Notre Dame. No, I, but, I, uh, no, I wasn't. They had not did enough laps on the Sin Master in Purgatory yet. No. Yeah. no, no. Uh, Nathan Cota says, the White House's efforts towards re-election bear a striking resemblance to Leon Lett trying to score TD in the Super Bowl. Wow. What an analogy that is. What an analogy at least, that is. Can, at least you know Leon Lett was trying. <laughs> oh, oh, dude. I, in fact, at least he was on the field. I, I think, I th- who, who is it that sent you that one? Nathan Cotis. Nathan, I think you've actually got a, you got the right player, but maybe the wrong moment. All right. Leon Lett, his team's up by 40 points, right? Against the Buffalo Bills. Dude's just, you know, he's, 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 his mind is back at the hotel. Yeah. I mean, he's dancing the jig through the Champs-Élysées, man. Right. Okay. Um, that play was one in a million that that would happen to you in that situation. And that play's always, for me, been more about Don Beebe's hustle in a game that was way gone, that he had, that he had just that much urine and vinegar in him. It's like, screw that, man. I know we're losing by 40, but we're not losing by 52. All right? Not on my watch. We're taking a 45-point L in the Super Bowl. Fine. But I'm salvaging at least a morsel of dignity out of this, maybe a molecule, and no way we're going down by 52 in a Super no, the Leon Lett moment that you cannot excuse was the next season in the snow on Thanksgiving Day against the Miami Dolphins when he tried it again. <laughs> that was the moment you can't excuse, right? I can't excuse, I cannot excuse a fella doing, just decide, dude, man, I'm gonna get my swag on. We're, we, this game is over, right? I, I mean, 100 million people are watching. I can't blame a young man for for throwing out the flare, okay? But when the game is contested and it, the game is on the line and it's a Thanksgiving Day game the next season in the snow and you tried it again, that I can that to me is is more what the what what's going on here with the Trump campaign because this is the second go around like it was for Leon Lett. They should know better. You're an incumbent. You cannot run on how bad the future is going to be if the other guy wins when you're in charge of the present. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a buy because I love the attempt at the analogy there. I just think you're it's, it's Leon Lett's second faux pas yeah. is a better one. I'm I'm selling poor Leon Lett. He was just sitting at home minding his own business right now. Don't make him wear <laughs> this thing. Good God. Uh, let's see. Next one is from Over Looney Tunes Window, who says, if history books were divided into five periods of time, 
all before Christ, nothing important. Uh, 0 AD to 1619, history starts. 1619 to 1865, war or something. 1865 to 2019, sneaky oppression. And 2020 uh, may need to split that part into two books. Does that sound like I, a, a... I can't follow any of that, man. I got to hold. For the opposite reason, it's you're smarter than me. I, I can't follow it. I'm sorry. I don't... 1619 Project. I don't... I don't... Yeah, I can't... Civil war, too many words and syllables, and I'm civil lost. Civil War through... I'm, now, I'm, I'm lost. Depression. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm selling that. Or holding. I'll sell. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I'm lost. I'll sell. Okay. When you put the amino acid into the fallopian was... tube... That's kind of what I heard. Over Looney Tunes, yeah. uh, I thought that was clever. Okay. Uh, Eric Charter says the average number of regular season football games played by Power 5 schools will be seven. Well, he thinks that's the the over-under? The average. So are we being asked an over-under? That's just a media number prediction. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go sell. I think it's going to be higher than that. Yeah, me too. I don't know that they'll all play all 10, but I think it's going to be it's going to be higher than that um, because we'll be into the NFL season. You're going to watch how they negotiate and navigate this. And you guys have to understand what's driving this is is bankruptcy. These these college athletic departments are going bankrupt, guys. There's 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 no middle option here. They either play or it's bankruptcy. That's it. There's not a there's no middle option. They cash flow on a year to year basis. So all the scholarships and everything else, that's why I've been predicting they were going to play all along because they're not going to knowingly choose a bankruptcy. That's going to have to be foisted upon them. So the, the reason they've put this all off, the reason why the NCAA didn't make a ruling last night on, on fall sports, the reason why they put up with this all these months is because this is, they're, they're, don't listen to what they're saying. Like, don't listen to Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren say, well, we still may not play this season. That's, that's virtue signaling. No, they may not play. That may, they may not. Okay, I, I believe that they will, but they may not. But that's not, he, he, he's, he's virtue signaling. I've got to have the optics here. I can't make it look like I'm putting student athletes out there as mercenaries because we're all going to go broke. He can't say that. Now, Jim Delaney could because he's been the, he was a commissioner for 40 years and he owned the world. Kevin Warren's been on the job for 10 minutes. He can't say stuff like that. Okay? That's all virtue signaling. Look at what they're doing. Don't look at what they're saying. Don't look at what they say to Adam Rittenberg and, these, and, the, and, the, and Pat Forty and the panic porn peddling sports writers. They're, they're flating them. All right, they're they're heavy petting them that verbally. Look at what they're doing. They're doing everything they can possibly do to play, right? Yes. Every everything they could possibly do to play, every indignity that could be suffered, everything they're doing, everything they can to play. Because if they don't, they're bankrupt. Period. No middle. They play or they're bankrupt. These college programs are paycheck to paycheck, man. If they don't play, they're bankrupt. And so the fact that they're going through all of these motions, they're not, this is not a political game. They're not doing it to then come back to you in a week or two and say, okay, we're not playing. The only way they will not play is if when they bring everybody together and the, and, and the college presidents can't handle the positive tests that were going to happen. The college presidents can't handle the positive tests that major league baseball is enduring right now 
But then if they can't play, then they then the athletic director can bl- wash his hands of it and say, and the conference commissioners can say, well, we had a season set up, but the president stepped in. That's the game. They know they can't they can't be on the hook for not playing. They're all out of their jobs. All these ADs are losing their jobs. These oh, coaches okay. with these huge salaries are going to see them slashed in half. All right, two hundred some odd thousand scholarships, like the sports your daughters are being recruited, gone. And another sign that they're doing everything to play is what you just mentioned because I follow uh, many of these teams. In the last, two, it was Monday and Tuesday that um, Division One women's soccer uh, teams returned to practice. That mm-hmm. is a sure sign. Yeah. They if football was really in huge limbo, uh, that would be delayed too. Agreed. They're back. I think th- I think you're getting virtue signal talking points. Well, we may not play. It may not be safe. That's all BS. That's all. That's the BS. Okay, they wouldn't be bringing the athletes back. The amount of money they've already invested in testing them this in t- since the first of June. Yeah. They've been on campus since the first of June. So we're now looking at two full months, all of June and all of July. That testing for all those athletes is expensive as hell. They would not be preemptively outlaying that cost if they weren't going to do everything they well, could possibly do to play. There's one thing I don't think they're doing everything on, and if I the SEC and the ACC both aren't starting until late September, is that? That's just the SEC now. It's just the SEC? Yeah, the ACC is starting a week after the Big Ten. The SEC is obviously the most likely one to play of all. You've been saying that for, but I, I still think that's madness. Why aren't you starting that's a, early? That's a virtue signal because what 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 states has the media been hounding have been the high case states, okay, the the, the Sun Belt states, South Carolina, going, Florida, Georgia, and so that's all. I mean, Georgia's going to start high school football on time. While the while the college team isn't going to play till the end of September, mm. guys, that's yeah. that's a political virtue signal. What what that is is the SEC ads gave an alm to the presidents because the pre- you have to understand university presidents everywhere are all political whores. Everyone I've ever met covered political. They're politicians, and so the university presidents are sitting over here in the South, like the coaches and ADs are like, well, we'd actually like to play our first game next week. All right. I mean, and the, the presidents in the South are all like, well, you know, MSNBC is going to make me look like a redneck rube here. I'm already the president of Confederate University, Old Miss, and now we're going to play next week. I can't have that. <laughs> okay. And so what the SEC ADs did said, fine, we'll give you, you know, this is, this is the alm we give to the presidents. We'll push this back. So we let the caseload curve drop another couple of weeks so that the optics of us playing with spiking cases all throughout the, the, the piling ash of Georgia and Florida doesn't crush you. That was a political concession to the school presidents. That's what that was. Now, that now the, the, those presidents, the season's going to start. I'm 100% confident. Well, 99, I don't want to be 100% anything in this environment. Crazy voice in my head just tapped there on the back go. of my brain. Okay? I'm 99% confident you're going to see first week of games. Now, what happens after that? Well, it, I don't have it. I don't know the answer to that. Okay, and that gets to Eric's average of seven. The reason why I said it would be more than that because I think if they get to seven, they're going to finish. Okay, to me, it's either they play two or three weeks, right? I or agree. they or they play almost all of them, right? All right, um, and I, I don't think it'll be like they'll get to seven and then and then because if they've made it that far, they're like, guys, we need the rest of the money too. All right, this is all about money. They're going to go bankrupt if they don't play. The only power greater than the money is the panic 
prissiness of the presidents, okay? And I could see a couple, I could see some of these school presidents begin to lose their damn minds. I could see that, yeah. International House of Bows says there will be no presidential debates for the rest of the 2020 cycle. Oh, bye. We're that pathetic. This one's tough. Um, do we count Donald Trump showing up by himself as a, as a debate? No, no, we do not. Okay. Because I, I've talked to some Trump campaign people, and that's one of their big ideas is to do that. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea. It's like, what do you mean? Uh, the country will be like, first of all, because, I, because Trump on his own for that long is a bad idea. Trump needs a foil. On his own for that long, he 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 reaches the point of diminish. Other than the fawning, the you know people that shows up at the rallies, the rest of America can't take more than ten or fifteen minutes of the act. Especially when he just gets into rambling, because he's not going to be prepared. You know that. So it's just going to be like a random stream stream of consciousness. All right. No, uh, the rest of the majority of the country doesn't want to watch Donald Trump pontificate on anything. Frankly, for more than ten or fifteen minutes, I'm afraid. I, by the way, I, I want him to win. I'm just not going to... That's why I'm saying this. I want him to win. That's why I'm telling you it's a bad idea to throw him up there for 90 minutes by himself. Bad idea. That's going to get old real quick. All right? Um, I'll sell. I think it's 51-49, man, on any given day. So... Here's the thing. Trump has to improve his polling numbers enough that, that, that enough pressure could be preemptively put on Biden for a week or two before the first debate that he kind of has to show where he looks like a punk. All right. Right now, Biden is perceived to have a large enough lead that whatever hit he would take for not showing up, you know, he could mitigate, he could, he could absorb at least some of that. You want to make an eight or nine point lead, like a four or five point lead. And if you can do that, then Biden couldn't really absorb the hit he's going to take for not showing up. And then you can at least maybe uh, shame him into showing up for the very first one. But I, again, caution Team Trump on pinning their reelect on the on both the, you know, Biden's cowardice to debate and then the debate performance. Because if you're going to do that, when we go live, Donald Trump better make Joe Biden look like a... a, 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 a yeah, and he a didn't. lesser evolved being. And he didn't do that against Hillary Clinton. Yeah, if he couldn't, I mean, you, the Donald Trump that sat down with Jonathan Swan, you spend four months telling the American people, Biden won't show up to the debates, he doesn't want to get creamed, and then he shows up. And then if you go back and forth with that moderator like you did Jonathan Swan, dude, you're doomed that night. You're going to build up those kinds of pro wrestling-like expectations, man. You better be coming off the top rope with a finishing move in 10 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's really dangerous to pin your whole reelect message on that. You better be sure you're 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 walking in with Nolan Ryan stuff that night, man. You know, and not number four, number five starter stuff that night. Our good friend, weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, will be joining us here next. He is our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, our good friend, the one and only Daniel Horowitz here to take us inside politics. How you doing, brother? Good to see you. Hey, Steve. I'm still thankful we're on the air. So it's a good day every day. The Blaze Network is up. Well, now I'm concerned. Did you know something I wasn't? I mean, is there a gun pointed at our heads or... 
Well, there have been in some countries. So, uh, you know, we seem to be one or two steps behind. So maybe by September or October, we might have to shutter the doors. We'll, we'll find out. It's all in the science. I don't know if you saw me tweet some of this stuff out yesterday and I went over at the top of the show, but I was getting, getting some work done yesterday evening and I just noticed some just redonkulous panic porn all over my feet. I mean, a couple things that we like had debunked like months ago and I'm like, okay, what are they about to lose an argument on that they're setting the stage for with the new, because that's all this is. We just shift the ground, the, the, the sands shift. We just, you know, move. Okay, we're, we're over here now. We're debating this, you know, fake talking point now. And then I saw our mutual friend, Phil Kirpin, tweet out the, uh, the latest uh, ER visit data for COVID symptoms in Texas, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, you know, those rube states in the Sun Belt in the Southwest where, the, you know, those Republican governors don't care about their people whatsoever and are trying to actively kill them so Donald Trump will win. At least that's what I read in the media, right? And you see the trend line on, because what's the first step to hospitalization for almost anything? A visit to the emergency room. So you see the trend line on these ER visits in all these states are now, they're back to where they were mid-June before the current round of panic porn that these are the worst play, hell on earth locations in America. And that's where I got to thinking, yeah, that, that tells me they know that they're about to lose this argument too in real time. So we're already moving back on to what the, the next front of horse bleep is going to be. But when you look at the, uh, the percentage of Americans right now that are, that are a positive coronavirus test, it's 0.7%. Daniel, 0.7%. The percentage of Americans, regardless of comorbidity, pre-existing condition, age, whether they lived in a long-term care facility or not, the percentage of Americans who have died of coronavirus who do not live in New York and New Jersey is 0.03% of Americans have died of coronavirus who didn't live in New York and New Jersey. And that's with all the stat padding and all the coding that you and I and people like us have pointed out. And I could just go on and on with these numbers. New York and New Jersey, if they were their own country, in deaths per 1 million population, they'd be the most deadly country for coronavirus in the entire world. Meanwhile, if I took Arizona, Florida, Texas, and Georgia, and I took all their deaths together with four times the population of New York and New Jersey, if they were their own country, they'd be the 13th deadliest country for coronavirus in the world. Take out New York and New Jersey, and our amount of deaths per million drops by over 100, Daniel. And, and, and there's a lot more numbers where that came from, but just, just to kind of give a big picture to our audience, what's your reaction to that? Steve, let me add one on there because you're talking about deaths. Well, let me just give you the layer of hospitalizations. So during the flu of 2018, which I'm sure everyone heard of, not, um, the hospitalization rate was 105 per 100,000. In this one, which we're not doing like two or three magnitudes higher of human insanity more than 2018, we're doing about a million. It's kind of like what happened in Beirut. That's basically what we're doing to our country. It was 130, 130 per 100,000 versus 105. But Steve, that's not the full story. You see, we are testing more people in one day from this than the entire right. 2018 flu season. Right. Okay, one day, um, about something like 600,000 or is a test today or something like that, yeah. isn't it? Okay. Yeah. So it was about that. 
about that range for the entire season. So had you tested that many people with the PCR? Because remember, typically we drive it with symptoms. That's what drives the data. You might have a test to back it up. Here we have a hypersensitive test that has a tremendous amount of false positives, and we're testing every organism around to go and drive everything. So I would say if you would adjust for that factor, it's pretty close to parity. And again, it's not that we didn't see hospitals stressed. There's a lot of articles if you go back to it. If you worked in the medical profession, I spoke to some people, yeah, you know, it was kind of kind of rough back then. In retrospect, they remember it. But you know what? It is nothing worse than we have now. And and you look at the man-made plague we have made from this, Steve. You look at 2.4 trillion in lost GDP. Now we have the numbers. According to government figures of 17 million um, uh, lost productivity accounts for one life lost due to the stress, suicide, um, drug overdoses, we have, I believe, 135,000 deaths that will be caused by that. And that's through June. This is continuing in July and August. So that's going to go on. And the years of life lost, you see, the suicides, let me give you, for example, I have data here and I just want to get the numbers. If you look at um, Nashville, that's Davidson County, Tennessee, and there they had 205 COVID deaths, if you could believe that. Steve, through June, they had 309 drug overdose deaths, 309. Hmm. Okay, it's been up 47%. That's just one form of death. Um, a lot of these deaths are because people are isolated now. Usually the way they're saved is that they're with someone at a bar or somewhere and they call in and you know Narcan them and revive them, and now you can't do that. That's just one form of death we're seeing. I mean, this is the perspective that our parents and grandparents understood. In There's a study out today I cited that showed weekly cancer screenings in the country are down 46%. Now, COVID didn't cure cancer, brother. So I think we all know what that means. A lot of women are going to be surprised to learn that lump in their breast. It's too late to treat. A lot of men are going to learn it's too late to treat that lump on their man parts. A lot of people with pancreatic cancer, one of the worst, deadliest forms you can get, has to be early detected. Those screenings are down 25%. I think you and I both know what that's going to mean on the back end of this. Steve, I, I have an aunt. We just got news from yesterday. She had, she had colorectal surgery, is colon cancer. And the process started literally days before this business with the diagnosis, and thank God for it. And they got in there, and it just started clipping the liver. I mean, it was still called stage three, but, man, a couple weeks later, that would have been stage four. And, and that's the difference between life and death. And you can only imagine how many people weren't as lucky and had that. Um, this is the problem where when you treat, you can't err on the side of caution and treat every case of COVID like it's stage four pancreatic cancer. That, that's what we're doing as a nation. And you can't do that. I mean, have you ever thought about what's going to happen with the schools now? A cold is the new threshold for panic. Mm -hmm. Now, in any given school, in any given year, Kids always have colds and always have fevers, which we now know is actually an act of mercy from God because that is what kind of shields them from more serious coronaviruses like we're seeing. 
But typically, I mean, you got kids that are out two weeks with fevers and you never think of going to the ER. You never think of making a big deal about it. How are you going to live with this? You look at the 1957 epidemic. I encourage your listeners to check out my article on lost common sense, how we powered through the 1957. That's great stuff, by the way. I would I would give you a second on that. That that is absolutely something our audience needs to read. That's great stuff that you did there. Because. Because it gives you a perspective on science, on history, but also God. I really think the God deficit, the deficit of God in our lives makes a difference. They un- it's not that they weren't aware of it. It's not that they, they didn't meet about it. They actually worked on a vaccine for it. But they understood that you cannot stop a respiratory virus. So the biggest guidance they gave That's is an that, important look, se- se- sentence. You can't stop yeah, a respiratory virus. You cannot stop a respiratory Why? virus. Because what do we all have to eventually do? Breathe. Achieve. We had, you, we, you have to breathe. We have to breathe. Okay. I wasn't going to mention this, Steve, but I just came out a couple minutes ago with an article on the Philippines. Anyone who shoves this lockdown crap on Where you. Where 91% of the people were, were masking, according to YouGov, the second highest rate in the world. And in yet the they're world. going back into another draconian lockdown because the masks didn't work. If the masks don't work there, where you have an extraordinarily low obesity rate, these are islands that already are socially uh, distanced from their, from their, from their neighbors um, in that region. If the masks don't work there, how do they work here and, and with 331 million people and many of us are far more overweight than they are in the Philippines? How do they work here then? And it's more than that. Before the mask, so they had what most call the strictest lockdown in the world. If you remember President Dudarte, he uh, threatened to shoot, literally shoot people if they violated it. So from from 10 to 5 a.m. was a blanket curfew, even essential. I mean, maybe except for a few, nobody could go out. Nobody under 21 or over 60 could ever go out. Um, and then even between those ages, one member per family could go out only for food and medical Um, That is it. Uh, God knows how many hundreds of thousands have died there from hunger because they have a big problem with that there. But anyway, the point is they had the longest, earliest and strictest lockdown. And then they only emerged from it recently with universal mask wearing. That is the wet dream that the media wants. They keep saying AP just published an article. Oh, you know, people aren't listening enough, which I don't know what they're talking about. People are. But that is your dream. You cannot get better house arrest than that, which kills people. And the case is tripled this week because the virus is going to virus. And there it's a lower latitude, just like with Israel and Hawaii. It comes there later. It's going to come when it comes. The, the best way to do it is um, D.A. Henderson, the man who is widely credited with eradicating smallpox. He was the dean of uh, uh, School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins. He wrote before he died in 2006 that you need to have a society that is functioning in its routine to deal with it the best. That's what they did in 1957. It was in many ways a more serious virus because remember that was a flu and maybe there was some asymptomatic there, but for the most part, if you got it, you got it. I mean, you were out for a week, you were sick with fever, chills, whereas 95% of people get it less than the flu. Um, they, it's either asymptomatic or, you know, I have a terrible sore throat now, by the way, and I'm getting one of those week-long colds that my wife just got. That is a worse degree of COVID than what I'm hearing from most people. Um, and this is what we're doing to ourselves. And Steve, the beauty of what they're doing is there's no threshold. See, if we were wrong and they were right, this is like Ebola and smallpox. It's it's very evident. So when you 
get over it, you'll know when you get over it and, and all this nonsense will end. But now I found a case. I found a flu. You're coughing. That is now a pretext. Another big piece of news I, I would be remiss not to mention is that Business Insider, CNN, and Washington Post all have comprehensive articles out now from the industries explaining how, well, the vaccine really isn't the end all. It turns out it doesn't really work for people who are obese, which is the entire enchilada. Um, it's going to take a lot of booster shots and multiple uh, things. It's going to take a while to distribute it. So really, you know, we're, we're going to keep these these uh, restrictions in place. If you want to know the degree of tyranny we're going to get, look at the degree of tyranny we are willing to accept. Yep. Because that is the line. No other line will be drawn. Final thing. I've got about a minute here. Just a good old fashioned political question. Joe Biden now admitting that he was lying a month ago. He's not taking cognitive tests. He said he was a month ago. Now he says he's not. And he said this on a television program with a black host where when he asked him about the cognitive test, which he claimed he was taking last month, he said to him, what? I mean, do you take a drug test before you go to work? Are you on cocaine? So just to follow the rule of the, the, the school of thought here, the former friend of segregationist who once eulogized the grand cyclops of the fondly of the West Virginia KKK as a friend, guide and mentor just assumed that the black man with a job needed to get drug tested before he uh, before he exercised it. How do Democrats ever lose elections? Honestly, I mean, they, they can do whatever they want. Say, I think it's just a testament to how bad their ideas are when they're actually considered by most people. When the rules of engagement are they can do whatever they want and get like no opposition for it at all and never be held accountable at all. Daniel, in 30 seconds, how do they ever lose? Steve, I think they only lose when they are in control and they hold the ball because people get sick of it. But guess what? Who's in control now? Who is regarded as in power? Republicans. So in other words, when we elect them and then we're forced to see their ideas, not what their slogans are, but live under how bad their ideas are, that's when they lose, is what you're saying. Yeah. That's all it is. And I I think, sadly, we might have to go undergo that once again. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Take care. You bet. Thoughts, gentlemen? Well, he uh, echoed my sentiment about a conversation I wanted to have about uh, vaccines, but always, but was also terrified uh, about it because he nailed it. The amount of tyranny that uh, we are willing to accept is really the bottom line. And when it comes to this, uh, uh, we hit on it with government. And and if you if if you don't wrestle with death from a God perspective. The way you're going to end up wrestling with it is inherently broken. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not confident we can have a conversation about this without hugging tyranny tight. You may find you have a whole new bunch of allies on the whole vaccine front. Oh, I'm going to have not more. Starting, not starting from your premise, but agreeing with you that, hey, this yes. is tyranny. We're not doing I'm going to have more. I know that. I just yeah. don't know if I'm going to have enough. What do you think, Aaron? So... As as far as the conversation about, uh, well, the vaccine is only going to be so uh, efficient or it's only going to have so much efficacy. So we're going to keep all of these uh, tyrannical measures in place uh, until such time as we deem fit. Um, it had not really crossed my mind that it would be an either or type of proposition, like either we vaccinate you or we keep all these lockdowns. But, you know, I was thinking I, I keep hearing a lot of Iowa basketball and football fans right now. Now that their star player, Luca Garza, announced that he's coming back saying, you know, I would willingly sacrifice the football season just to see this Iowa basketball season 
play out because I have a chance to go to the final four this year. And I, I, I look at that and I say, no, I, I want, I want both leftists look at this and they see the same thing. If they get their way, it's going to be, yeah, forced vaccination. And because it's not that effective, we're right. going to keep all of these things yeah. in place as well. Yeah. I, I, I did not, you know, I, not comparing me wanting football and basketball season to leftism, but you get the, 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 the choice. They don't see it as a choice at all. They want both. That's their reality. They want all the power. They, they, they are this close to Gollum having the ring. And they are they are biting they are in the process of biting Frodo's finger off right now. That's how close we are. That's good. That is good. That's really good. I mean, they walk into the situation asking themselves, how much are we gonna take? Our guys walk into the situation asking how much of this are we willing to give away? Right? Yeah. That's is that a good strategy? No. No. I don't think so. No. All right, we're going to stick around and do some bonus buy, seller hold for the overtime. For the rest of you, we are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.